Good morning. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. It's good to have Pastor back in our series in the book of Romans. Welcome to many visitors this morning. Um, on your way out today, or if the guys want to get one to you, there's some connection cards in the back. We would love to have a record of your visit with us today. And if you'd like Pastor to reach out to you, please, those are in the back on the table. We're so glad that you are here today. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 21. Romans chapter 14 verses, uh, sorry, Romans 12 verses 14 through 21. The Bible says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank the Lord for his word. I might just remind us that we do have children's church out for those that are six years old and younger. So if you'd like to take the little ones, you're welcome to take them for children's church to be a blessing both to you and to those who are around you. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 to the end of the chapter. We continue on in our series in the book of Romans. I don't know if you've ever had tunnel vision. Have you ever had tunnel vision? I'll explain. Tunnel vision is when you look at something so closely that you forget about anything else that's going on around you. That's tunnel vision. Have you ever had tunnel vision? It's dangerous. Tunnel vision can be really dangerous. You start to focus in on one thing and you forget about all the other things that are going on. I'll share an example from my life. I grew up in Kentucky, and if you know anything about the United States, Kentucky is known for sharpshooters. Us Kentucky boys take pride in the fact that we know how to use a rifle. It is in our DNA. And I grew up in Kentucky. I wanted to be a sniper. Give me a gun, I will point it at the target, and I will hit it dead center every time. That was, at least that's the way I thought about myself. I, my grandfather taught us boys when we were small. He taught us how to use a rifle. We went and we killed a milk jug. The milk jug, when we got done, it had holes all through it. It, was, it did not walk away. So I learned how to use a rifle when I was small, and then I went off to Bible college, went to university in North Carolina, and North Carolina has a lot of deer hunters in North Carolina, and one of my friends, his name was Jason, he had two rifles, and he asked me one Sunday, he said, would you like to go hunting with me this weekend? Now, I had one little secret that I did not want him to know about, and that secret was I had never been deer hunting ever in my life. 
I knew how to use a rifle because my grandfather showed me when I was 10 years old. <laughs> but now I went to fake it as we go deer hunting. We went out that morning sometime later in the week. We went in the early morning hours. It was still dark when we went. We went out. It was so cold. These are the vivid memories I have. It was so cold. My fingers hurt. My toes hurt. My thighs hurt. My face hurt. It was so cold. And the two of us walked into the woods, the forest, and he left me at one spot and he said, I have seen a lot of deer come through this area I thought, how hard is it to shoot a deer, right? I mean, he just walks out, you pick up the gun, bang, I win. It's that easy. And off Jason went to his other tree stand to wait for the deer at his side, and I sat there with my back against the tree, and I waited and waited and waited and waited some more. My face hurt, my fingers hurt, my toes hurt, my thighs hurt. It was so cold, and I established one truth that morning. There are no deer in that area. (laughs) Nothing moved. A dog didn't move, no squirrel, no rabbit, and especially no deer. There was no deer around. Jason showed back up after several hours of us sitting out there. I think he established there were no deer in his area as well. And we decided to go back to the house. Now, I have to explain real quickly the type of rifle that we were using. It was called a muzzle loader. Whereas normally with a regular rifle, you will put a cartridge into the bottom or maybe you will put a shell into the back. But a muzzle loader is the opposite. You take the muzzle loader, stand it up, and you put the bullet in from the top and you pack it down inside the old style way. Muzzle loader. The only way to unload a muzzle loader is to shoot it. There's no such thing as getting that bullet back out. And so we went back to Jason's house, and here we have two rifles, and this is my chance to show him I'm a Kentucky boy that knows how to shoot. In fact, I'm an expert at video games. <laughs> I'm ready. And We set up a target, it was probably 100 meters away, had a target there, and this is my chance to show Jason what a great sharpshooter I am. We had a picnic table there, I leaned across the picnic table, he had a big scope on the top of his gun. I looked right into it, and my goodness, it was as if I was looking at that target right up in front of me, I could see it as clear as could be. I leaned into it, I was getting tunnel vision really bad. And I'm seeing that target, and I remembered everything I'd ever heard about being a sniper, about you got to slow your heart rate down, get your breathing just right, and I'm going to show him I'm a Kentucky boy. We do it right in Kentucky. And I brought my eye right up close to that target. I might mention, by the way, a muzzle loader, 50 caliber. When that gun kicks, it's like kicking from a horse. I forgot about that. I also forgot to put the butt of the gun into my shoulder. And I leaned in and got my eye right up close to that scope. And when I squeezed the trigger, every kick of that gun went square into my eyeball. I don't remember standing up and stepping away from the the picnic table. In fact, I don't think I did. 
I just remember squeezing a lot of pain and me laying on the ground back behind the picnic table. That scope went straight into my eye. Put a big gash here after church if you want to see it. I have a scar right here on my face that is the shape of the round part of a scope. I had tunnel vision. Just the back end of that story on the way to the hospital. That is blood just coming out of my face. On the way to the hospital, we called Becky. We had been married for about two years at that time. Ariel was just a baby at the time. We called Becky. I told Becky there's been an accident. We're on our way to the hospital. Becky thought I shot Jason. <laughs> no, I shot myself in the head. We, have you ever gotten to the hospital? I'll get to the text in just a minute. Have you ever gotten to the hospital? You're at the emergency department, and it seems like it takes them forever. You're like, hey, I'm dying here. That day, I walked in. I was in camouflage, had a long buck knife on my side. It was deer season. I had my hand on my face. Blood was coming out from everywhere. It was coming down like this, out through my fingers. There was no waiting that day. They thought I had shot myself in the head. And the lady at the reception, she didn't even say, go sit over there at all. She got up and ran to go get a doctor. (laughs) Within minutes, I'm laying back there and they were sewing me up. I said, I know the secret now. From now on, just throw some blood on your face. You're going to get right through. (laughs) Tunnel vision. You can get so clued in on something that you miss what else is going on. And our passage today is going to talk about sometimes you can get tunnel vision, you can get drawn in on something so big that you forget that there's a lot more going on. And in this passage, we're going to talk about how do you interact with your enemies? How do you interact with them? And if we're honest, when our enemies front up against us, our insides, our entire being becomes involved. Your stomach gets turned in knots. And you get all worked up, and you get tunnel vision, and you know what your tunnel vision is? I'm going to get this guy back. I'm going to figure out a way to find revenge on him. And in your tunnel vision, you forget the fact that I am a carrier of the gospel, and how I act is how people will see Christ. And you forget that there's a bigger picture going on here, that God can handle this in much better ways than you ever can. Perhaps you buy into the idea that revenge is a dish best served cold. Careful, you're coming in with tunnel vision. I hope that we, as a result of our time together today, will see that God is very clear that if the gospel has transformed your life, that you will treat your enemies differently. As an old man, I want to get them back. As a new man, and we're going to see this in the text today, I'm going to bless my enemies. I hope that you'll see this in our text as a reminder, Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11 are all about doctrine. You are saved because Christ went to the cross. You trusted that and God declared you righteous. That's called justification. And then as we saw in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, your sanctification is happening again because you trusted that Jesus' blood was enough to take away your sin and the power of it. And you are becoming righteous in your day-to-day walk. You're progressively becoming more and more like Christ. 
And now as we come into chapter 12, we've seen already three times, and now today's the fourth one, in Romans chapter 12, we're seeing there's a way that you should be living as a result of having been changed by the gospel. The gospel changes us on the inside, and then our actions change on the outside. Be careful, don't jump straight to Romans 12 without having 1 to 11. For we cannot just take the bad fruit off of our life and sticky tape good fruit on. Oh, for it will go bad as well. The change must happen from the inside out. Remember, your beliefs will impact your actions. So we saw in verses 1 and 2, we saw there's a way that you should be acting towards God. That's my body is a living sacrifice. It's holy. I'm going to make my body submit to God's laws. I'm going to follow God with my body. That's my interactions with God. And then we saw in verses 3 to 8 how I should interact with the rest of the church body. You see, God has given me a gift that I should be giving to the church. And God's given you a gift that you should be giving to the church. And then we saw in verses 9 to 13, we saw just a few weeks ago how we should be acting towards everyone else. Your love should be without dissimulation. It should be genuine. Let your love towards other people be genuine. And we saw that. And don't be slothful in your business and your interactions in life. We should look after the necessity of others and especially the saints. Now today we'll see verses 14 to 21. How do we interact with our enemies? I think by the time we look at those, we've pretty much covered up just about everybody in life. My interaction with God, my interaction with the church, my interaction with everybody else, and my interaction with my enemies. Now I'm going to make two statements before we jump in the text. As we talk about enemies, I want number one, I want you to see this or understand this. He is not talking about war. He will address war, and when we get down further into the passage, He'll address it, live as much as within you, live peaceably with all men. So in other words, there is a time when war comes. By the way, war is declared, war is obvious, and war is between nations. Guys, can I be honest with us? For the most part, what we see, especially within our city, tribal fights is not war. You say, Pastor, no, it is war. We all go to fight. No, 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 wait. It's almost always retaliation. Most of the time what we see on the streets called tribal fights is retaliation. That person did something wrong to someone in my tribe. Therefore, all of us will go back. And usually, it's not we will fight them until they submit. No, we will fight them until we take one of theirs. And then we call it peace as we just sit on our sides and wait for the next thing to come up. That's not war. That falls very well in this passage. This does not apply to war. Another thing I want young people, especially young people, I want you to hear me on this. This does not say keep your mouth closed about wrongs in the world. It doesn't say that. Some young people might hear this passage spoken, bless your enemies and don't curse them. And you might think when somebody does you wrong that you just have to bear it and carry it. That's not what he says. Young people, somebody does something wrong to you, you need to speak to an authority in your life about it. Talk to a teacher, talk to your parents, come and talk to your pastor. For there are wrongs in this world and they do not need to be covered up. They need to be exposed. You say, but it only happened to me friend, you have no idea who else it's happening to. So for their sakes, speak up. We'll come into the passage now. How do we interact with our enemies? 
Let's see verse 14 down to verse 16. And I'm going to, I'll show you the first one. Number one, I, there's five of these, by the way. First one is in verses 14 to 16. The first one is this. Bless those who persecute you. Let's read verses 14 to 16. Verse 14. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Very clearly in verse 14, the command is there. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. The book of James in chapter 3 makes a statement. You do not have the ability as a believer to make two different kinds of speech. You don't get to have blessings and cursings coming out of your mouth as a believer. It would be like having a fountain that gives both sweet water and bitter water. You can't have both. You don't get salt water and fresh water from the same well. It's either good or it's bad. Bless, don't curse. Jesus gives a command to us. Uh, Jesus' word, sorry, this is an insight to your heart from Jesus. This is Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. Jesus shows you what your heart is like. It has everything to do with what comes out of your mouth. If you want to know what's in your heart, see what's coming out of your mouth. Here it is, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. You want to know what's going on in your heart? Good things are coming out of your mouth. That means good things are going on in your heart. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. I wonder what your heart is like this morning. When someone does you wrong, an enemy does you wrong, do you bless them or do you curse them? If you're cursing them, guess where that's coming from? Something wrong in your heart. Friend, if Jesus has forgiven you much, you should also be able to forgive little. Here's a command. This is Jesus. Command. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say unto you, this is Jesus with a command, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's a command, friend. Did you hear it? Bless them. Don't curse them. They do you wrong, do them right. That's Jesus' command. That's hard living, friend. It is tough. Somebody does me wrong, I want to give it back to them. But if I've been transformed by the gospel, if the gospel is working in my life, this is the projection that I should be headed for. I should be working on this. When somebody does me wrong, instead of me returning with curses that are rooted in a problem in my heart, instead I should be returning with blessings that are rooted in my heart has been changed, my life has been transformed by the gospel. I want blessings upon him. Now, Jesus didn't just say it and then leave it for us. He gave us an example as well. And I think we could take that example straight from the crucifixion, but I'll use Old Testament words. Isaiah 53, in verse number 7, this was the prophecy of Jesus that was to come. Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. There's Jesus, perfect. Never once did a single sin, never thought a sin, never said a bad thing, and they afflicted him. You remember what that looked like? Plucked his beard out. You ripped my beard out, I'm going to be letting you know. That's natural. That's the old man, Jesus. He said, don't do it, and then he gave the example, and he didn't do it. He gave blessing. Blessing. 
not cursing. You say, but pastor, I thought that if I live right in the world, then I would have good things coming my way. Maybe you forgot 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, yea, they who live godly will suffer persecution. You will suffer persecution, friend. That's a promise. It will happen. You say, but pastor, we don't live in a day where they burn us at the stake. Oh, aren't you glad? But there's other ways that you might have an enemy show up in life. I don't think it takes much for us to think about that, for what that might look like. You might have any number of ways that somebody might cause you problem. Or maybe you say, okay, well, what about my friend's enemies? If I can't return cursing to those who are persecuting me, what about my friends? When my friend has an enemy, maybe I can step in and and provide that cursing for him. And the answer to that is seen in verses 15 and 16. So look at Romans 12, verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, but be not wise in your own conceits. So when your friend has an enemy, so we just move from you have an enemy to your friend has an enemy, and it's very natural for us to step in and say, hey, I'm going to protect my friend. So there's two very wrong ways for you to do that. Wrong way number one is you see your friend is having a persecution and you step in and you take up arms and I'm going to fight back on his behalf because he can't. That's not what it said. Bless, don't curse. The other way would be you step into his life like Job's friends and start accusing him. Well, maybe you have this enemy because you've been doing wrong yourself. Don't be Job's friends. Job's friends were horrible. They would have done better if they had just kept their mouths shut for the entire book of Job. But instead, they said, oh, Job, we think that you must have been doing wrong, and that's why you have all of these problems. Oh, friend, don't be Job's friends. But instead, how should we act? Rejoice with them. Weep with them. Rejoice with them. There they're going through a problem. Weep with them. Sit with them and cry. You see the words in verse number 17, uh, sorry, verse number 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. So as he's going through a trial, sit in the mud with him. Don't look for ways to take up arms against those who are causing the problems. Be with him. When he rejoices, rejoice. When he's going through a problem, go through the problem with him. And don't think too highly of yourself. Do you see that at the end of verse 16? The end of verse 16. Be not wise in your own conceits. By the way, that this, has, this theme has repeated itself. You can see it in verse 3. Middle of verse 3. I say to those of you that are among all of you who are among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Then verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. And now we see it again here in verse 16. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't lift yourself up. Instead, bring yourself down to be with those who are going through persecution. So we saw number one, bless them that persecute you. Number two, don't return evil to evildoers. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Recompense. 
I think this one's going to come home for us in the culture. Recompense. The word recompense means payback. That one should come home to us. So let me read it with our modern idea. Don't pay back to any man evil for evil. Don't do it. Guys, we love payback. It's in us. And by the way, that's not just us, Papua New Guinea. Globally, revenge is a part of us. We don't like seeing things left wrong. You say, Pastor, why do you say that that's global? Look at the movies. The movies that people fall in love with. Gladiator. Rambo. Okay, Rambo 2, Rambo 3, Rambo 4, Rambo 5. TV shows, 24, Arrow. All of them are rooted in revenge. Somebody did something wrong and somebody else comes along and makes it right by taking out revenge. As human beings, we love these things. We love to watch revenge be taken out. And perhaps, I'm, maybe you're thinking this morning and you're going, but pastor, doesn't scripture say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Yeah, it does. But it was never intended for you to go out and meet out that justice. That was not intended for you. The intention, Old Testament intention, was this is the way that the government should work. So when someone takes a life, Old Testament, when someone takes a life, you take his life. Not you, individual, go search that person out and take his life. No, you bring him in, fair trial. He's found guilty, take his life. That's the Old Testament statement. Then we come into the New Testament and we see Jesus take this statement and he goes another mile with it. See, many of us are loving the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but we forgot that Jesus tacked something onto the back of it. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39. You've heard it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, that you resist not evil. Do you remember the words we said? Don't return evil to evildoers. Resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I think back to several years ago, we had a terrible incident, security incident here on campus. Can I ask, how many people were here when the Nichols were here? Pastor Tyler and Miss Abby... Tragic, for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, tragic home invasion, horrible. Eight men broke into their home just after Pastor T had driven out. Wife and the kids were there in the house. Eight men came in, four through one side, four through the other side, did terrible things to their family, ransacked the house, stole a vehicle, and off they went. It was devastating. It was shattering to their family. Their little boys, just five years old and three years old, should never have to see anything like that. Absolutely terrible. It was on a Thursday that that happened. And on Friday, I helped Pastor Tyler and we booked tickets for him and his family to go down to Brisbane, get some counseling. They got a house where they would be behind three locked doors. His wife was a basket case. I remember that Friday morning going to Westpac Bank downtown with Pastor Tyler. He didn't know how to cross the road. I had to hold his hand and walk him across the road. They were that shaken up. I knew in that day they'll never be able to live here again. 
I knew this is earth-shattering. That's Thursday, Friday, Sunday. We had about a hundred believers from around the city come to provide comfort and care to us, and I'm so thankful for that. But that day, there was a tone that quickly shifted in conversation, Sunday afternoon. The tone quickly shifted, and the statement was made by brothers and sisters in Christ who did not understand Romans 12, 14 to 21. And the statement was made something like this, just tell us where they are, who they are that did it, and where they live, and we'll go and burn their houses to the ground. We don't return evil for evil. That's a command. You don't do it. You see, brothers and sisters, our lives are transformed by the gospel. I know that this is a different way to think. I know that there are ramifications. And that day, I knew exactly where their house line was. I kept my mouth shut. Because I knew if I let it out, more than likely, people who love me are going to go and do things that I would never do. But I'm not going to be a part of it. You see, guys, when I preach this passage, this passage means a lot to me. And I hope that perhaps if you haven't had to put this into practice yet, I hope that at some point in the future you face a terrible moment that you don't go to the ways of the old man, but instead you say, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide me and change the way I live. Hear me well, church. Payback is unbiblical. It's unbiblical. You saw it there in verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, that is the government's responsibility. And if they don't do it and they don't take it up, it is not up to us to take up arms. It is up to us to pray for those who are in positions of authority. That will be chapter 13's passage next week. Pray that they will do right, for if they do not, God will hold them responsible. But it's not my place to do their job. We'll see in a moment. Let me give you two verses before we move to verse 3. Two verses, 1 Thessalonians 5. This is not the only time, by the way. Romans 12 is not the only time that we hear this. Don't do it. Here it is, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves, church, and to all men, those who are without. Don't do it. Also, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 is rather long. I've shortened it. Finally, be courteous. Now, verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise, give blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit A blessing. God's done gracious, merciful things to us believers. Don't let the fountain that brings forth blessing be mixed in with the fountain that brings forth a curse. Number three. See this in verse number 18. Number three, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. Let's read verse number 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I'm so thankful that the Apostle Paul added that phrase, if it be possible. And then the second phrase, as much as lieth in you. In other words, work as absolutely hard as possible 
for you not to end up in a fight. You realize some people are just looking for a fight? Heard the phrase, he'll fight at the drop of a hat and then he'll drop the hat. Some people are just looking for it. He says, you're transformed by the gospel. You don't live this way. So live peaceably with all men. And this is, I believe, the caveat to where we can find, yes, it is okay to go to war if that other nation will not stop. And I think modern day, if you're paying attention to the news at all, Russia, you invade our nation, we fight back. And hats off to Ukraine for doing it. But that's not what's happening with your neighbor. Your neighbor plays the boombox in the middle of the night really loud. I know it's frustrating. But you don't have the right to start throwing plates at his house. You're returning evil for evil. So as much as within you live peaceably with all men. Don't seek war. Don't try to make enemies. I think of David in, in Getty. This was 1 Samuel chapter 18, I believe. Oh, sorry, 1 Samuel 24. David was at En Gedi. En Gedi is an oasis in the Judean desert. It's near the Dead Sea. In fact, you can see the Dead Sea from En Gedi. It's a beautiful place. I would encourage you to Google it sometime. It is absolutely beautiful. Natural, uh, nature park now. It's a uh, reserve. Such a beautiful place. And in En Gedi, they had caves. You might remember when David had been anointed king and Saul was chasing him. You remember that? And the scripture says that David went into a cave with his men at En Gedi. And so here's this cave, and there's many caves there in, at En Gedi, so we don't know which one it was that he went into. But he went into the cave, he and his men, and they were bunking down for the night. They're going to call it a night. They're going to sleep there. They know that Saul is out there somewhere, and in that moment, Saul and his men come into the cave. David's men realize, in that moment, David's men realize we outnumber them. They also quickly realize Saul and his men are tired and they begin falling asleep. David and his men, they're just on life's edge right now. That's our enemies. We see them. They don't see us. We're close, hand to hand. They're falling asleep. This is our shot. And one of the men says to David, God has brought these enemies to our hands to slay them. And David says, no, 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 no. That is God's anointed. I will not touch him. David does an interesting thing. David sneaks up to Saul while Saul is sleeping. Who does this? The one who is his enemy, who has had David on the run for years now. David was married to his daughter, and then Saul took the daughter back. I mean, you want to talk about getting the tambu back in this moment. David walks up to Saul, cuts off part of Saul's robe. I can just imagine in that moment, like if he'd have got caught, it is on, boys. And he cuts off Saul's robe, a part of Saul's robe, and he gets this lap lap, and they run out of the cave. All of Saul and his men are still asleep, and he stands outside the cave, and he holds it up. Maybe he goes across to the other side of the canyon or something as the light comes up. He shouts back into the cave, hey, Saul, have a look at your robe. <laughs> I can just imagine, huh? Saul rubbing the coos from his eyes. Hiya! Half trousers blew me broke. <laughs> I can just imagine. And David stands across the valley and says, hey, 
had the opportunity to kill you tonight, but I didn't do it. You know what that is? As much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. David went out of his way. And think of it with me for just a moment how different David's legacy would have been if he'd have killed Saul and become king that way. You see, God had already anointed David to be king. And in God's timing, God would make it right. God would move Saul aside. And yes, Saul died in battle in a very embarrassing way. Saul would be moved off in God's timing. And David, the beloved king, but can you imagine if David had killed Saul? and then rose to power, that's called an insurrection. David would have never been looked at the same. You see, David understood, as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. And so if I have to live on the run, God will make it right. Number three, you saw, live peaceably with all men. Number four, as we come into number four, I think that maybe this question might already be resting in your mind and the question is this if i'm not going to make it right then how will it be made right you see if i don't do it it won't get done i need to take vengeance because if i don't take vengeance he's going to get away with it and the scriptures say the exact opposite look at verse 19 number four is leave vengeance to god leave vengeance to god number Nineteen, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Leave vengeance to God. Now, I want you to look closely at the beginning of verse 19, because I hear a shift in tone. This is what I mean. Look at the beginning of verse 19. Dearly beloved. All through chapter 12, he has given rapid-fire commands. Let love be without dissimulation. He gives all these rapid-fire commands. Be one body in Christ. Be kindly affectioned. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Don't return evil for evil. And now all of a sudden I see him pause. Dearly beloved. You know what he's acknowledging? In verse 19, he's acknowledging there are wrongs in this world. Friend, can we just take a moment and let that hit us in the feels? There are wrongs in this world. And we can stand and say, don't return evil for evil and live peaceably with all men and bless them and don't curse. But friend, if those wrongs are not done right... We've got nothing but sadness and sorrow for all of our life. And so he gives us hope in this passage. He says, dearly beloved, don't avenge yourself. You don't do it. Give space to wrath. In other words, step aside because God's going to be the one that takes care of this. Give space. Step aside. Come over to the side. You don't get in the way because if you get in the way, you're going to do it. You're going to mess it up. But if you just step off to the side, give space to wrath. Let God step in. Oh, I want to encourage you. When God does it, He does it perfectly. Oh, they knew enemies. There are wrongs in the world. You don't call them an enemy because they gave you ice cream. They give you pain. There's wrongs in this world. For Paul... I don't know if you remember, just take the cities that he went to. As he went to Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonica, 
lost their land and their houses to those enemies. And in Galatia, the enemies literally took the believers out of the churches and took them back to the synagogues. And in Rome, the enemies falsely blamed their city's corruption on the Christians and imprisoned and killed them. And in Philippi, those enemies landed Paul and Silas in prison with stripes on their back. And in Jerusalem, those enemies lay in wait so that they could kill Paul after he had been arrested. I don't know if you remember the story from the book of Acts, but they made a pact amongst themselves where they said, we won't eat until we kill him. The longer that goes, the hungrier they are, the more they want to kill him. You see, those are enemies. And many of us have not had enemies at that level. Perhaps you've had enemies that have done terrible things to you. But as I think through what we probably see on a more regular basis would be things like an ex-husband takes the children. Or the husband takes a second wife. And then he's an enemy and so is she. Or another clan takes your land and that makes them an enemy. Or another tribe takes the life of a family member and that makes them an enemy she's very open about this don't avenge yourself dearly beloved there are wrongs in this world and as i look at the apostle paul and all of those different wrongs that came against him you never see him retaliate never instead there he is just think of the philippi one in act 16 he's in stocks his back is beaten and how does he respond He sings so that when God does an earth-shattering move, an earthquake comes along and breaks the stocks open, in that moment when the Philippian jailer stands at the door with a knife to thrust into his own stomach to take his own life, Paul goes, hang on, hang on, I love you too much to let you do that. Let me give you a blessing, not a curse. You know what a curse was? Run yourself through twice. That's a cursing. You deserve that. And all you're kind with you. That's a cursing. But no, hey, stop, 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 stop. What you're about to do, you don't need to do it. We're all still here in prison, and if that means you need to put the shackles back on, so be it. Oh, a life transformed by the gospel would be very different. Brethren, avenge not yourself, but rather give place to wrath. As it is written, this as it is written, that means that in the Old Testament somewhere it was quoted... And so that verse is in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 35. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Here's Deuteronomy 32 verse 35. Listen to the way it's written there. To me, God says, to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Can you let that settle in? To me it belongs. I own it. I own vengeance. He who is the judge of all the earth, who always does right and never messes up a single time, will take vengeance and it will be right. Oh, let that sink in, brothers and sisters. I don't need to avenge myself. Instead, I'm going to give place to wrath. You want to see what that might look like? Hold your place here in Romans chapter 12. I want you to see it. Slip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 because he's going to give you a glimpse of what his vengeance looks like. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 4, tells us a bit about this. By the way, I mentioned it just a few minutes ago. The church at Thessalonica lost their land and their houses to their enemies. Acts chapter 17 tells the story. The Apostle Paul came into Thessalonica. He was only there for three weeks. 
started the church in three weeks, and they ran him out. As a part of Paul getting run out of the city for the sake of the believers, their land was put up as a... uh, Here we would call it bail. You put into jail, you have to post bail to get out. They posted their land as security that the Apostle Paul would never return to Thessalonica. Paul ever returns to Thessalonica, they lose it all. They wrote to him, and we see it in 1 Thessalonians 4, they wrote to him because they thought at any time Christ would return, and when Christ returns, then we're going to be all right, it's going to be okay. But instead, some of them, in Paul's words, had fallen asleep. Some of those believers had died, and he had to write 1 Thessalonians 4 to remind them that Christ would come with the shout of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet and the dead, those believers would rise first. Now he writes 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He continues this theme of there's persecution going on in the church and he reminds them that God will take vengeance and he will do it right. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you, Paul, talking to the church. We glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulation that you endure. I'm proud of you. It's a different way he said it. I'm proud of you. You're going through persecutions and you haven't backslidden one bit. Verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Now, Watch closely in verse 6. The words of verse 6 are very important. I have them underlined in my Bible. Verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Somebody does you wrong, it is a righteous thing with God for Him to do wrong to them. He will return vengeance to those who persecute you. You say, well, what that, might that look like? We'll slide down to verse number 8 and you'll get a picture of it. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What does it look like for God to take punishment out on someone? Flaming fire, eternal damnation in hell. You realize there are two ways that God will take vengeance out on wrongdoers. There's two ways. Very clear. Two ways that God will take out vengeance. One is, if that wrongdoer puts their trust in Christ and they become a believer, God will declare them as righteous and that sin goes on the cross. The most precious payment ever for the sin of the world. And God meets out the punishment for that sin on His own Son, Jesus, at the cross. And if that person who is a wrongdoer does not put their trust in Christ, God will meet out that punishment on that person forever with flaming fire in hell. Eternally separated from God with no option of ever being able to escape. You see... The righteous judge of all the earth will always do right. So then we can give place to wrath. Don't try to take it out for yourself. Number five, 
Vengeance is His. He will repay. And He always does it right. His promises are always kept. Number five, treat your enemy with mercy. Treat your enemy with mercy. Look at verse number 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Well, that certainly is countercultural, isn't it? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. This is a quote, by the way, from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. There's any number of different interpretations for what this might mean of heaping coals of fire upon one's head. You can just get this image of you've placed coals of fire on someone's head and then as that goes down into their hair, how they try to get that out, and you can just imagine. That would be torment. Unless, of course, you're Kella. (laughs) But as the burning embers go down into the hair, that would be ongoing painful. Another idea or interpretation might be The ancient Egyptians, it said that if they were wanting to show remorse, they would take hot coals and place them into a pan and they would put that on top of their head and they would carry that showing that they're remorseful. The point of this is not putting coals of fire on their head. The point of this is show mercy and when you show mercy, it will be like nothing they've ever experienced. That's the point. So as you think about this, the old man in his natural fallen sinful ways, the old man, when someone does him wrong, he's going to fight back. He's going to return evil for evil. He's going to find heaps of coals to put on top of their head. But instead, in the new man's way, not returning evil for evil, blessing, not cursing, being merciful, giving food, giving drink, helping, I'm showing mercy. Now keep in mind the words of verse number 19 as we come into verse 20. Verse 19, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It is God's to take vengeance. And then verse 20, it is ours to show mercy. So think of it this way. If I show mercy and the enemy refutes it, how much more will the vengeance of God be heaped upon him? Do you follow my logic here? Another way to say this would be like this. Mercy denied makes wrath more intense. Mercy denied makes wrath more intense. So if you want to get your evildoer back in an even better way than you could ever do, In your old ways, you might try to figure out a way that I'm going to trip him up or I'm going to put a nail under his tire or I'm going to do something to get him back and he'll never know it was me, but I'll just know that I got him back. You can do your ways and you'll do it imperfectly. Or you can give way, follow the scriptural way, show mercy, And if they continually push back, the vengeance of God will be heaped. You give mercy, heaps. You give mercy, heaps. You give mercy, heaps. Oh, how the vengeance of God. If you want to get them back in the most perfect way ever, let God do it and you just keep showing mercy. I'm going to keep showing mercy. He's going to refute it and God will give him more. I'll keep showing mercy. He's going to refute it and God will give him more. I want him to get a lot. So I'm going to keep giving a lot of mercy. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, you see, a life transformed by the gospel is completely different. We'll finish off with verse 21. I see verse 21 as a summary. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome with evil. You see, if I return evil to evildoers, I just joined them. My life is different. The gospel has transformed my life. And if ever there was an example, it would be Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin took on our sins so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Oh, He's our great example. I'll close with this verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. So let's look to Jesus as an example. Here's verse 21. For even un- hereunto were you called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. If you want to know how to do this, do it like Jesus. Christ goes to the cross. As a lamb led before her shearers is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile, filthiness even found in his mouth. You see, out of that fountain came only blessing. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, he threatened not. But listen to these words. But committed himself to him that judges rightly. That's our example. Jesus. Instead of Jesus calling down, and He could have 12 legions of angels, that's 72,000 angels that could have mopped the earth with those Roman soldiers. Instead of bringing down those angels, instead of allowing His disciples to take up the sword and fight, He gave Himself over. Why? Because He knew the judge of all the earth will do righteously. And he committed himself over. Friend, don't get tunnel vision. Don't get tunnel vision. Remember, you're a representative of Jesus Christ. He's our example. And our Heavenly Father will always bring vengeance in a perfect way. So Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that you would help us. Oh Lord, what a difficult passage. How easy it is for us to just live in our old ways. Globally, every single one of us loves the opportunity to have vengeance. We cheer on vengeance. But, oh Lord, as a people who are transformed by the gospel, I pray that our life would be an example that others could see, that would be shaped by looking at Christ who went to the cross, did not open his mouth, gave blessings. Oh, even on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. I pray, Lord, that we would also be able to follow in those steps and trust that our Heavenly Father will always do righteously. Thank you for your word. I pray we would put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.